Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. If you have Bibles with you tonight, go ahead and join me in the book of Revelation, chapter number two. And uh, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week, Revelation chapter number two. We gave you a little background last week, if you remember this text of Scripture. So tonight we're just going to kind of dive, we're going to dive right into it and take a look at this letter. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, as we said last time, uh, records for us, there's a record here of seven letters that were drafted by the Lord Jesus Christ and sent to seven different, seven different churches. Did you, ever, did you ever write a letter? I, I like it. I like correspondence, and uh, now that I have uh, a secretary, I don't, I don't personally write a lot of letters, but I dictate some letters, you know, and, uh, and I know always, I have kind of, I have a model that I use most of the time. Sometimes it's just, uh, hey, Tyler, thinking about you, yeah, thanks for your help this past week, preacher, you know, but if it's a little bit more formal, I may write something like this, uh, dear Dr. Riddell, or dear preacher Riddell, uh, greetings in the name of our wonderful Savior Jesus. I trust this letter finds you doing well. Uh, hey, brother, I heard about some wonderful things going on down there at Open Bible Baptist Church, and uh, I'm on the other side of the bridge. I would write a letter to, like this to him when I pastored over there. I'm on the other side of the, the bridge and uh, got the report that things are happening and just wanted you to know uh, I'm excited for you and praying for you. I would never put... But I also heard that, you know, some of those deacons are running people. <laughs> I would never write that. You know, I never heard that. But, but uh, that, that would be, and then I would just, you know, uh, praying for you, your friend in Christ, Brother Yanizzi, right? So we don't often think of the Bible as bitten, being written like that, but this section was. You know, I, I want to I convince you that these are letters that Jesus wrote to seven local churches in Asia Minor. I showed you the map last week, right? And the first one in verse number one of chapter number two is written to uh, the church of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was, uh, don't get ahead of me, uh, Ephesus was, go back. Uh, Ephesus was a, uh, a local church. In fact, it was, started, it was started by the Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey. You're aware of that, right? I know I'm, I'm telling you facts you already know, but it's good to be reminded, right? And so local church started by the Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey. And, 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 and uh, Ephesus was an interesting town. Um, at, now pay attention to this. At that point in time, the population was around 250,000 people. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's a city. You know, that's not a little town. And uh, it was a seaport city. 
and, and it was really kind of like a hub for political and religious activity. Um, you, can, you can study the history of it for yourself, but uh, right there in Ephesus, they had the Temple of Diana there. And so, pretty religious town. You know, today, today it is in, uh, it's in western Turkey. And the name of the city is no longer Ephesus. It's, I think it's kind of like Selkuk, S-E-L-C-U-K, something like that. And the population today is around 36,000. So it's vastly, it's vastly the demographics and the population and all, everything about the city a little bit different today than it was in the Apostle Paul's day. But Paul had a fondness in his heart for this church. I'm telling you this on purpose. Paul had a fondness in his heart for the church in Ephesus. In fact, there's evidence that when uh, he visited that church, he stayed there for three years. Now, in Paul's, in Paul's economy, in Paul's world, that's a pretty long time, you know? In fact, anybody who stays for three years, that's a pretty long time, isn't it? You know? And, um, and so, but he, he, he enjoyed that church. I don't know if it was his favorite church. I think maybe the church in Philippi may have been his favorite church, but he was fond of the church in Ephesus. And one of the main reasons is because one of his Timothys, you know what a Timothy is? What's a Timothy? He's your helper, oh, he's, a, he's somebody you're discipling, right? We call that individual, he's my Timothy. He's somebody I'm pouring my life into. Well, one of Paul's Timothys pastored the church in Ephesus. You know what his name was? Take a guess. Timothy. Wow, I don't know what you had for dinner, but it certainly slowed you down a little bit. Timothy. And so, uh, and, and, and Paul loved Timothy, right? You ever read First and Second Timothy? Yes, yeah. All right, we need to get up and sing Father Abraham. Just get your blood flowing. Uh, and so, uh, and so, and so I, I, what I'm trying to say is this. This church had a great, uh, uh, it, it was influenced greatly by the Apostle Paul, and not just when he was there, but a lot of what Paul wrote Timothy in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy had to do with the church in Ephesus. Paul was, let no man despise thy youth, and he's talking, he's talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 on down, and then a little bit further down, verse, I think, 11 on down, the pastor responsibilities and deacon responsibilities, that was for the church of Ephesus. So Paul had a fondness for this church. But as we read this letter, you're going, to, you're going to pick up a few things, and you're going to notice that this great church became a church that was just going through the motions. See, now they won't put it up. There you go. They were just going through. Have you ever, have you ever heard that phrase before? And just going through, let's be honest now, come on, the Sunday morning crowd's not here, it's just us. Have you ever found yourself just going through the motions? Come on, we do. And so I, I, I don't want to become judgmental on this church because it's a good church, as you'll see. However, the Lord writes this letter and he points out a weakness that he spotted, and the weakness is they were just going through the motions. Look, 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 look at the text. Let's read it. Unto the angel, that's the pastor of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He says this, I know thy works. 
So Jesus knew about this church. He examined them inside and out, up and down, knew everything about them. I know thy works, thy labor, and, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them. I mean, you have a hard time with those that are evil. You, um, and, and you've tried them, uh, which say they're apostles and are not, and has found them liars, and has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Notice what he says in verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. He said, verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else, or else I'll come unto thee. I, I never like those words, or else. You know, it's kind of like a threat, right? Or else. Ever, ever, did you ever hear that before? Or else. You know, I remember my father used to say sometimes, Son, if you, it's either that or else. I didn't like the or else. You know, I don't like the or else. But Jesus says, or else I come unto thee quickly and, look at this, remove thy candlestick out of its place. He's going to write Ichabod across the, the, the lintel doorpost of that church, except thou repent. But this thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I hate also. You know who the Nicolaitans were? Anytime you see, uh, that's a plural group, the Nicolaitans, they're followers of somebody. And this group here, it's said that they were followers of this fellow whose, whose name was Nicholas. And Nicholas was a heretic, and he would peddle the doctrine of indulgence, you know. And so just to give you the flavor of the church in Ephesus, we would say this, it's a pretty good church. I mean, they were, they were standing where they should have stood, you know, and they developed the right kind of, of stand. They weren't tolerating things that were going on. In fact, Jesus mentions it right here about the Nicolaitans. But verse 7, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So what you find is this. You find, first of all, a little description of the assembly, right? The church, a local church, you know, right there, as I said a moment ago, in Asia Minor, that Paul started on a missionary journey. And you know this, if Paul started it, he started it properly. It was on the right foundation, correct? By the way, let me say this, not all churches are founded on the right foundation. And when you find a church that's not started, not founded on the right foundation, pretty good evidence, it's not going to go straight, it's not going to go right for long, because your, your beginnings are important. You know, a good start does not ensure a good finish, but it sure do help. Isn't that right? And so it's important, it's important to get started right, get on the right foundation, you know. Uh, many times we, we see people come to a church like this who got saved and, and maybe discipled or, or reared or trained in a church that's not really sound doctrinally. You know, and maybe they, they, they're looking for a church and they come here and they see it's friendly and, and it's got some things going on and they kind of want to link up with us. And so they'll have, maybe they'll have a membership meeting. And in the membership meeting, you know, we'll begin to talk about what we are and we'll ask them where they've been. And they'll bring up stuff like this. Well, well, you know, I have the gift of tongues and, you know, I, I enjoy being slain in the spirit. And, uh, and man, we know immediately if we're talking with them, flags go up, red flags go up. This person hasn't been properly uh, discipled. So what we normally do is this. We'll go back and check out their salvation. 
right? Because if they're speaking in tongues, getting slain in the spirit, if they're seeing visions and all that kind of stuff, it might be evidence that they were, they were led to the Lord by someone who did not really, really give them a good, clear presentation of the gospel. And people like that tend every once in a while to believe you can lose your salvation. Same amen right there. Right? But that would not be the case with the church in Ephesus. And I'm making a point here, and I, I'm going out of my way to make it, because this church had it going on. In fact, when you look at verse number one, and you look at the author, Jesus, uh, he, he begins to talk about, of course, he, he's listed here as the one, two, two ways. Go ahead, and, go ahead and flip that. We're talking about the author there. Uh, in two ways, he's, he's recognized. First, he holds the seven stars in his hand. Remember I made mention to that last week, right? How Jesus holds the pastors in his hands, you know? And then he's, in this case, look at it again, he's walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And so that's great care. The Lord is taking great care of these churches, right? Uh, he, he's looking after the pastors. He's given the preachers the power and the authority to do his work. And then, and then he's, he's in the midst of the churches. He's right there. Isn't it good to know, remember I mentioned this last week, isn't it good to know that the Lord knows exactly where you are and what you need and the depth of your need? And, and as I said last week, I don't want to keep repeating it, but I think it's important to know that he's already there. You know, uh, you know, tomorrow morning, Sister Judy, when you go to the hospital for that surgery or to the eye center, he's already going to be there. He's already preparing the, the team, the surgical team, and the anesthesiologists and all that kind of stuff. He's got it all. Isn't that awesome to know? All you really need to do is trust him. Trust him. Amen? And, and so that's what's going on here in this church. And Jesus says this. Look at the insight, verse number two. I know. That's insight. That's insight. Jesus said this about the church. He's writing the letter. Uh, Dear Dr. Riddell, I trust things are going well. Hey, I heard a report of the Bible conference you had. I just want to commend you, brother, for staying faithful. I heard, I heard souls were saved. I heard your people did a, just a, a great job of hosting. I talked to some preachers that preached there, and they told me that you just you treated them like they were just men of God. Thank you for being such a gracious preacher. That's maybe what I would have wrote, right? Uh, Jesus says this about the church, I know thy works, and then he goes down this list. Let me highlight what he's saying here. here. Here's what he says about this church. He says this, first of all, I know that you're working in the ministry. I know your works. Uh, they were enduring persecution. They were intolerant of evil. They discerned doctrinal error. They didn't quit when the pressure was on, and they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Right? Uh, we, we read that right there. And so basically, we'd say this. Jesus was saying this about this church. And this, this church had it going on. You understand that terminology? Right? We, we may, back in the day, John, we may have said, man, that church is on fire. I mean, if, 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 if the Lord sent a letter to a Preacher Riddell and said, I, I, Brother George, he would call you son. He'd say, I want you to read this to the church. He would say this, hey, I know you guys got it all, got it going on. You're on fire. People are being saved there. The word is being preached there. You're standing right where you ought to stand. You're, you're taking your stand in society. Everybody knows when they uh, drive down New Brooklyn Road, and any time you get close to that place, they know there's a church that has a genuineness going on there. 
You know what they used to say about Spurgeon's Tabernacle? They used to say this, it was a soul's trap, George, and anyone who would get close to it, be careful, because they may get you. Hmm. Hmm. They don't say that much more about that place. And they don't, they don't say much more about some churches. Boy, that place has got it going on. It's on fire. In fact, sad to say, a lot of times we're driving through our communities now and what once were church buildings are now restaurants and ice cream uh, venues. And I was down watching a little league ball game in Hamilton. Uh, forgot your name there for for a second, Brother Will. And I drove past this beautiful-looking facility, and I said, what, what is that? It used to be a, a, a tabernacle. Now it's, a, it's an entertainment venue. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Huh? And so we can't drive through communities today and say, man, see that church there, Tyler? Well, I'll tell you what, man, it's got it going on. No, Tyler might say, preacher, what's that building? Well, that used to be a church that win, used to win souls, used to preach the word of God out of that place. What are they doing now, preacher? They're selling ice cream. Saturday night venues and... Hello? So Jesus is speaking to this church and, and, and basically here's what he says. Here's what he says. They had a whole lot going on. They were evangelistic, missions-minded, aggressive. Now pay attention right here. Don't, don't, you don't have to move this. They were slipping. They were slipping. Did you hear me? They were slipping, and the Lord knew it. And so he gives them some admonishment. Look at verse 4. He says, nevertheless. That's a big word. That's a big word. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. And here, here, here it is. He sums it up. You have, you have left your first love. Now, don't lose me right here. And I promise you, we'll, we'll not labor this, but I want you to see maybe what he was speaking about here. I think this, when Jesus mentions in verse 4, nevertheless, for me, for me, it makes everything previously said void. For example, people, and I, I know there's no harm in this, but sometimes people will come up and say, well, Tyler, Man, that was, a, that was a really good message. You hit on some really good things. And I really appreciate the way you did that. However, do you know what he's listening for now? Everything you just said doesn't make, just went right out of his head. He's waiting for what's the however. But, but, it was really long. <laughs> just pick something out of the clear blue sky. Uh, you know what I'm talking about there, right? So everything, Tyler, that was a great message, great content, great delivery. Man, it, it was wonderful, but everything you just said no longer matters to him or would never, no longer matter. What, what, what's the but? Huh? And you know what? I've never heard anybody say to me, it wasn't long enough. Now, don't go saying that tonight to make me feel good, please. You know? So now get that. I want you to see this. The Lord says, I, I, know, I know your works. I know all about you. I know you're taking a stand. And I know, I, I, I understand, you know, you're, you're enduring some difficult times. However, I have somewhat against you. And he said, here, here, here's what it is. 
you've left your first love. Now, let's be clear here. Let's be clear. He didn't say they left or, or they lost their love or they left their love altogether. They still love the Lord. On, on the count of three, I want you to say, I still love the Lord. One, two, three. Now, don't answer this. But do we love the Lord like we once loved the Lord? Or do we love the Lord like he deserves to be loved? Because what Jesus is saying here is this. What he mentions is there's, there's a lack or there's a loss of passion. There's a lack or a loss of enthusiasm. You know what the word enthusiasm is? If you break that word down, you know what it means? In, E-N means in, and it begins with theo, in God. Enthusiasm means in God. And the more in God you are, the more enthused you'll be. That didn't go over too big. But I guarantee you this, you'll lose your enthusiasm when you start to slip a little bit in your personal devotions. You'll, you'll lose your enthusiasm when you begin to slip in, in your intensity. You know, you come to church saying, I can't wait to get there. By the way, we were talking about this the other day, I think it was you and I, about the honeymoon stage. We are in a honeymoon stage and you're loving me. You know, yeah, new voice, different style of messages. But I plan on being here for a while, at least another six months. You know, before I have to go back to Florida, I'm only on loan. Wintertime is coming. I'm going back with Elwood and Eflin. I'm going back to Miami with them. So, but, so are you still going to be enthused and, man, I can't wait to get to church and hear what the preacher's got to say a year or two from now? See, look here. It's not the voice. It's not the message. It's you. Something has been stirred in you. You've got to keep it stirred. You've got to keep it stirred. Kind of like when I preached this morning about how David encouraged himself in the Lord. Isn't that right? Huh? And so the Lord says this to them. There seems to be a lack or a loss of passion, enthusiasm, intensity, interest. They, look here. They were going. They were going through all the motions. Maybe we would say it this way. They still, had, they still had Sunday school, still had connection classes, still had youth group, still had a music ministry. They still were doing outreach. They still had regular services. They still had big days, national night out, uh, kid fest, missions conferences. However, they were doing all of that, but not doing it the way they once did it or the way the Lord required them or desired them to do it. Amen? Uh, and so they're busy, they're serving, they're sacrificing, but they were just going through the motions. It happens, doesn't it? Doesn't it? So, so let's make this personal. What would Jesus say if he wrote a letter to open Bible? I preached this a lot of years ago, Brother Craig, and I entitled the message, Dear Southside Baptist Church. That's a church I pastor for a lot of years. Dear Southside Baptist Church. And, and I just wrote the letter, you know, pretending to be Jesus and maybe what he would see. And I did the same thing, man. I, I wrote the letter. It was a Sunday night service. I preached it. I couldn't write the letter here because I don't know us that well, Right? But I wrote and I said, dear, dear Southside Baptist Church, um, 
you know, some salutations. Then I began to list. I mean, I began to list all the things that we were doing, you know. And then I got down to that spot and I said, nevertheless, nevertheless. And then I asked the church, you fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. Let me ask you a question. Did you ever do a personal assessment on yourself of your strengths and weaknesses? You ought to know where you're strong and where you're weak. Huh? Right or wrong? I'm not talking about, boy, get me around chocolate cake, preacher, and I'll just eat the whole thing. No, I'm not talking about, I'm talking spiritually speaking. Do you know your strengths and do you know your weaknesses? If you don't, you're not helping yourself. I don't like it when it's quiet. I don't know if you're paying attention or not. Right? We, we, we got to be able to come to a place in our lives where we say, Lord, I want you to point out for me. Here's a piece of paper. And by the way, he'll do this. Here's a piece of paper on one side. I have strengths. Father, would you, would you point out for me my strengths? And just be quiet for a little bit. Just be quiet for a little bit. Pencil in hand, pen in hand. And, and I'll tell you what, he'll inspire you. You write that down, right? Look here, listen, be brutally honest with yourself, right? And then say, now, Father, on the other side of the page, and hopefully, hopefully it takes a while for you to get through that side, strengths, right? Then on the other side of the page, Father, would you point out for me my weaknesses? And when he does, don't argue with him. Don't resist them. Don't shut them down. Huh? I need to know my weaknesses. Many, many years ago when I was a youth pastor, my pastor did a study on a Wednesday night preacher, and I'll never forget, it was a study on blind spots. Blind spots. And here's what he said in the message. Everybody's got blind spots. You know what they are, blind spots? They're things that you can't see about yourself, but other people see them, right? There's a fancy name for it. Does anybody know the name for it? It's called the Jahari window. Yeah, the Jahari window. Did you ever hear of that before? Anybody ever hear of that? No? See, I'm bringing so much new information to you. You've got to keep coming to church. The Jahari window. And that teaches this, that there's something about you that other people see that you can't see. The only way you can work on it and make that weakness a strength is if you know it. So here's what my preacher encouraged us to do. Get somebody you trust and love and ask them to point out for you your weak spots, your blind spots. That's not easy. And here's what he said. When they come along because it's somebody you love and somebody you trust, and when they come along and point out a blind spot, don't argue with them and say, not me, I, I, I don't do that. I don't pick my nose. No, I never pick my nose. Not me. And then they show you a picture on their cell phone. Huh? And you thought nobody was watching, right? You with me? So, you know what he said? Here's what he said. You ought to, you ought to probably choose your spouse. And I thought, good grief, <laughs> How about if she's just setting me up, you know? But think about that for a second. Wouldn't you want to know a weakness in your life so that you can work on it? 
Huh? Wouldn't you want to know that? I do. I want to know that. I shared this with somebody <coughs> last week. And we're talking about this very thing. And I think I shared it with Tyler as well. Back when I pastored in, in Pennsylvania, we used to have an intramural, uh, intramural basketball pickup game. You know, I loved playing basketball back in the day when I could. And so I would play, but you know what happened, Ty? Man, inevitably, every Monday night, we play every Monday night. You know, we'd have several games, and in my game, you know, somebody fouls you or somebody cheap shots you. Man, I'm getting all in the flesh. And I would say this. I'd say, man, I, I can't handle this no more. And I'll never forget, I went, I went to the guys, says, guys, I'm, I'm going to pull out. I'm not going to play anymore. Oh, why not, preacher? I'll tell you why not, because I'm getting in the flesh. And I don't want to lose my testimony. And so I quit. You know what happened after I quit? The Holy Spirit jumped all over me and said, so that's the way you're going to handle your weaknesses? You're going to quit every time they're revealed? Huh? So it's not better for you to get control of your flesh and, and realize it's only a game? You're going to quit, walk away, and, and how am I going to reveal your weaknesses to you? And I said, good point. So you know what I did? I started refereeing. <laughs> I did start a refereeing, but that was a good point, because here's what happens. I'm going to preach a message one day. I'm not sure when, but I promise you I will. It's called Follow Me, and in the message, you know, Jesus says, follow me, and we never ask, where are we going? Follow me. Where are we going? If I were to say, Dave, follow me, you'd probably say, where are we going, preacher? Where are we going? Now, he leads us to some obvious places, and we'll take the time to find that. But then he leads us to some real difficult places. And can I tell you, the one of the places he leads you when you follow him? He leads you into the recess of your own heart. And you know what you find there? You find there are things that you thought were no longer there. And you say something like this, now, Lord, why in the world did you? Because we got to get rid of that. I love you. I love you too much to leave you like you are. Oh, that's good preaching. You know that's good preaching. Huh? Right? And what he's trying to do is he's trying to point out some things inside of us that we have got to get victory of if we're going to be what he wants us to be. More and more like him. And so he says to this church here in this text, you're slipping. You got somewhat against you. You lost your intensity, your enthusiasm, your passion, your commitment, your drive. So if we make that personal, personal, let me ask you this. Do you still have, hey, look up here, do you still have that zeal? Do you still have that zip? Do you still have that drive? Do you still have that intensity, that enthusiasm? Do you? Huh? That's for you and I to answer personally. In closing, he, he makes this appeal. Look at verse number five. He says in verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works, or, or else I'll come and pretty much shut you, shut you down. Now he's speaking to a church, right? So removing the candlestick means, I mean, he's just going to take his power away. Take his power away. And churches that operate without power, I mean, you might as well just shut the doors. Correct? There's no sense to go on, you know? So what does he encourage them to do? Three things. Let me point out three things. The first thing he says to them in verse 5 is what? Remember. Remember. 
right? Call to mind those early days. Not, not so much the early days of your church. You know, ball, remember back, we used to run, but remember back. And all you're really doing now is living your past testimony. Right? That, that's not going to help anybody. No, what he's saying to this church or to the individual, because we are the church, you've slipped. You've lost your intensity. You're no longer enthusiastic. Your commitment, remember back when you once had that. Huh? Maybe, maybe you need to go back to when you got saved and there's early days of reading the Bible, learning the Bible. I remember, I remember going to church, preacher, my, my pastor. You remember Dennis Higgins? Pastor Dennis Higgins? He was my first pastor. He's with the Lord now. And, uh, and, uh, and I'll never forget this, Don and I, man, we're just born again and going to church. And Dennis Higgins at that time, real, real red hair and a real, real big neck, you know. And when he would preach, he couldn't button his collar, you know. And when he would preach, his face would get as red as his hair. And I remember saying to my wife, we're going back next week because sooner or later his head's going to blow up. He's going to explode. I got to be there to watch his head explode. But he, man, I tell you what, he just, and I didn't know what he was saying. I, was, I just got saved. You know, I remember preaching out of the book of Joshua. I never read Joshua before. I know all that such, I know those stories. But you know what impressed me, John? What impressed me is he believed what he was preaching. I mean to tell you, man, that's what drew me. This guy believes it. I don't know it. I don't even know if I believe it, but I believe he believes it. I'm willing to follow somebody who believes what they believe as long as I don't, you know, their beliefs aren't in aliens and, you know, things like that. And every once in a while, man, I'll tell you what, I remember back. I remember my first book in the Bible that I began to study was the book of James. And if you go back to my first study Bible, I have it in my office. It's amazing some of the silly little notes I have in there. But that's how God spoke to me as a two-year-old Christian. You know, I never forget this. One time I was, I was, we were at our church. We just got saved and uh, I didn't have a good Bible. I just had whatever. I don't know. Maybe I even, I might even brought the big family Bible. I don't know. And, and the song leader, his name was Jesse Keller, came up to me at the end of a service. No, 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 no. It went like this. I remember looking at Jesse's Bible and admiring it, you know, and he said, he said, you want to say, I said, yeah. And it was a, it was a Rice reference Bible, a John R. Rice reference Bible. And I said, man, that's nice. Now, uh, when Don and I got married, we didn't have two pennies to rub together. We did not qualify for poor. If, you, if you'd looked in the dictionary under poor, we would not be there. We didn't qualify. We were sub-poor, you know? So I didn't have money went out and buy a study Bible. I just, whatever I had, I used. Until one Sunday morning, at the end of service, I walked to the rear of the church, and there's Jess Keller, the song leader, and he, he, gave me, he gave me a box. And he said, it's for you. I said, what is it? And I opened it up. It was a John R. Rice reference Bible. Blue, leather, silver binding. Still have it in my office. Man, every once in a while when I'm going through my Bibles, I look at that Bible. And I think about the people that invested in me. So many people have invested in me. You know, none of us, none of us are self-made. I mean, if you just cut open your chest, you see little bits and pieces of all the people who took interest in you and prayed for you and loved you. <laughs> and you know what that does, preacher? That stirs my heart, man. That brings something back. Are you with me? 
And so the Lord says to the church there in Ephesus, you need to remember, and then he said, you need to repent. Get back to the place where you were. Remember where you were and get back to it. Get back to it. Huh? You remember when, when you used to read the Bible every day? Remember when you used to read the Bible and it really spoke to your heart? Remember when you used to pray and you felt like, man, you were just, I mean, just right there at his feet? Remember when you used to go to church and, wow, it was awesome, and you couldn't wait for the, you sit on the edge of the seat, what's he going to say next? Repent. Change your ways, your direction. And then he said this, he said, and do the first works, or repeat, repeat. Remember, repent, repeat. I said something on uh, Wednesday night. We're having a good time with the kids on Wednesday night. And I forget what led me into it. Brother Will reminded me of it at lunch the other day when I said this, just, just keep doing the things that got you where you are. Huh? That doesn't mean we're stale. I'm not about being stale. I'm not about driving my grandfather's Cadillac. I'm not about going back and going back. No, we need to keep, keep this thing moving forward. However, in moving forward, we can't leave behind the things that made us who we are. That's the problem with some of these progressive churches. They're leaving behind the very things that made them what they once used to be. And now because they're not drawing crowns anymore, they want to change everything. But you don't need to change the book. You don't need to change the foundational core beliefs to stay fresh and relevant. Right? You just pray, God, help me to figure out a way for us to stay fresh and relevant. Right? And, and here's what we'll find out. We'll find out younger generations aren't looking for something that's flashy or out of this world. They're just looking for something that's alive. It's looking for something that's alive. So you can sing Amazing Grace like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Or you can say, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but... And it's a whole different kind of song, isn't it? Huh? And then we throw in, my chains are gone, my... Praise the Lord, keep it fresh. We don't have to have, you know, electric guitars and drums and, and earth, wind and fire in Chicago up here to draw a crowd. Now, it wouldn't be a bad special day because they're my favorite music groups. But that's not what the younger generation... See, that's what we think the younger generations are looking for. And so we change our identity until we lose our identity. Don't miss that. Because there's churches today that have lost their identity. They have no idea who they are because they're just trying to reach the crowd. Here's what you do. Do you ever, do you ever try to stay current with your, your clothing? You need to have a lot of money because it changes all the time, right? Bell bottoms were in for a while and went to straight legs. Soon it's going to be no legs. Ah, you can't keep up with it. It's same thing with church work. If all we continue to do is cater to what everybody thinks church ought to be, you'll never have an identity. Just find out who you are, be the best at who you can be, and keep who you are fresh and relevant. Yeah, paint the barn. You know what I mean by that? Keep it fresh and throw a service in here and you don't have a Sunday night there. And uh, the other night we showed a video and sometimes we do congregational. Just keep it fresh. 
We don't have to have four songs in the message every service to be a Baptist church or to be any church. But you've got to have some, some core beliefs, you know, and you've got to be excited about that. Don't you agree? Huh? Amen? And so the Lord says to the church here in this text, basically, you need to remember, repent, and then repeat or else. But then look at this promise, and I'm done. Verse number 7. He gives him a promise. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, here's promise, will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Right? God just says, man, just, just get back to being who you're supposed to be. And I promise I'm going to bless you. I'll bless you in such wonderful ways. Isn't that what we want for Open Bible? We want the favor of God to be upon our church, the blessings of God to be in our church. We want this to be a place where, you know, people grow and worship the Lord. When others come in, they say, boy, I tell you what, people there, they, they're glad to be there. They're not being held hostage. Right? Did you ever go to some churches and you wonder, are these people being host- held hostage? Why do they come here? I wouldn't go back to that church. It's so dead. Huh? The people sitting in the pew don't even look like they want what they got. Why would I want it? Right? Huh? God forbid if you should laugh. I went to a church one time, Bob Hamlin's church. I'll never forget this. Lee Robertson was preaching. This is back a long time ago. This is way up there in upstate Pennsylvania. And Brother Robertson, man, I sent back over here someplace, and Lee Robertson was preaching, and he said something really, really good. And, and I was with Fred Schindler at the time, and Brother Schindler said, Amen. And the people sitting in front of us turned around Gave us a look, and I thought to myself, we're in trouble. And so the next time he said something good, I wrote it out on a piece of paper, and I held it up. <laughs> we're going to yell at me. Look at me, yell at me. Huh? But you go to some churches, that's the way it is. Did you ever go on vacation, try to find a church, and you wish you never went to that church or didn't go on vacation? or, Huh? What in the world was that? That's not what we want for church. We want to keep it fresh and exciting and relevant. However, core beliefs must never change. Amen? Dear church, praise the Lord. I thought about, I thought about a great song to close up shop, and I, I, don't, I don't know the words, so I've got to open my iPad back up. Uh, I don't remember the words. Uh, is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? You remember that? that? That's an old hymn from, I don't know if we sing that anymore. But listen to the words. You have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase and have earnestly, fervently prayed. But you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Does your heart to spirit control? You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. Isn't that a great truth? Maybe that's our, our desire. Don't you want open Bible to be that kind of a church? I mean, just place, it's on fire, it's alive, it's relevant. No matter what age you are, you can go there and get something and feel loved and feel apart. Young, old, and everybody in between. Huh? Isn't that what we want open Bible to be? It can be. It doesn't have to be one way or the other. It doesn't have to be old stuffy or, you know, new age. 
It can be right down the middle with just alive. Let's strive together to make it alive. What do you think? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for giving us counsel from your word as we get a chance to look at a letter that Jesus sent to the church in Ephesus. A good church. A church, if we'd been in Ephesus, we'd probably visit that church and like it. However, when Jesus examined it, he found that they were lacking. In fact, they were slipping. And what they were doing, they were doing, but they were not doing it with the same intensity or passion or commitment that they once, once had. I would pray that's not true of Open Bible. I would pray you'll continue to stir our hearts and help us to be, not cutting edge, but help us to be fresh, relevant, and, and, and just up, up to date, but not abandoning, not giving up what got us to where we are. And I pray you'll give us a uniqueness about our church. We don't have to be like the church around the corner, down the street, or across town. Help us to be who you want us to be right here on this property, and we'll thank you for it. I pray you bless your people in an abundant way for being here tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, and amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcasts or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you can give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.